Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You're familiar with Brenda Tracy, the work she's done, changing laws, changing minds, changing hearts. Well, Brenda Tracy's been touring the country for several years in the national spotlight as a survivor. I helped her tell her story years ago when she came forward to talk about Oregon State and a gang rape that happened to her in 1998. Prominent survivor, prominent activist, now back in the news. USA Today had the story. Brenda Tracy on the phone with Mel Tucker, the Michigan State football coach. Now Mel Tucker suspended without pay and accused of an inappropriate activity, sexual comments, masturbation, and subsequent harassment. Joining us now, Kenny Jacoby, USA Today. He had the story. Kenny, let's talk about this. So uh, Brenda Tracy um, comes forward, talks to you about what happened with Mel Tucker. Take us through it. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Brenda Tracy uh, reached out to us uh, about the situation developing at Michigan State. Um, she has been going through a Title IX case at the university since December, 20, December 2022. Uh, it was then that she filed a complaint alleging that during a phone call in, in April 2022, uh, Mel Tucker uh, made sexual comments and masturbated without her consent. Um, this investigation has been going on for eight and a half months. Uh, it has been uh, occurring quietly in the background while Mel Tucker has continued to coach football games for Michigan State. And we published the story yesterday, and hours later, Michigan State suspended Mel Tucker without pay, pending the resolution of the case. The this story, as you see it, it you know, if Mel Tucker, you know, over eight months comes back to Brenda, says, "I screwed this up," um, you know, "Hey, I'm sorry, I was out of line." Are we here today? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, the reason that Brenda reported the situation to Michigan State is because of a subsequent phone call. The the last time, the next and last time, Brenda and Mel Tucker spoke after the incident. During that call, uh, which happened in eight, August 2022, uh, Brenda said that Mel Tucker uh, threatened to destroy her career and her reputation if she came forward about his conduct. Uh, that really scared Brenda. Um, for the next four months, uh, she stayed quiet. Um, initially, she thought, oh my God, this person is going to destroy my career. I need to be quiet about this for the sake of my myself. Uh, eventually, uh, she came to realize that she wouldn't be the person that she claimed to be uh, when she travels the country and, and talks to others about holding people accountable for sexual misconduct. 
if she didn't do it herself in this situation. And so that's what prompted the complaint. The story as you see it now, is it an investigation at Michigan State? You know, Mel Tucker firing back a little bit, issuing a statement saying that, you know, this is uh, this investigation is essentially a sham and Brenda is uh, ruining his reputation. He's not going to stand by and let her do it. Like, what's the story now in your mind, Kenny? The story now is uh, what is going to happen at the hearing that is scheduled for early October, where both sides are going to have the opportunity to present their cases to a, an independent, neutral uh, hearing officer who will make the final determination as to whether Tucker violated the school's policies barring sexual harassment. Now, the inherent nature of these sorts of cases, as you know very well, is that there's often no eyewitnesses or recordings. So the decisions of, of who is at fault often comes down to whose account is more credible. In these Title IX cases, the standard used is the preponderance of evidence, meaning is it more likely than not that what is alleged actually occurred? And in this case, the investigator uh, who submitted her report uh, on the facts in July found some key inconsistencies in Mel Tucker's account that could come back to bite him later when this hearing comes around, if it ever does come around. Uh, Mel Tucker indicated in his statement today um, that he already believes uh, the hearing is a sham and it's not clear if he will show up to it or not. Give me an idea, you know, because he's even saying this isn't a Title IX investigation. In your mind, is it a Title IX investigation or is it something else? I think it's sort of a distinction without a difference. Michigan State has a policy that covers both Title IX sexual harassment and non-Title IX sexual harassment. Title IX is a federal law that outlines that specific conduct that takes place on campus or in the context of a school program is covered under federal law and there are ramifications for that, meaning if a school violates Title IX, they can be held accountable in court. Uh, the difference is simply that uh, non-Title IX cases, um, they can still be adjudicated by a school, they can still end up in court, it just wouldn't be under that specific statute known as Title IX. So there's no difference effectively in how Michigan State would investigate and adjudicate the case, whether it's under Title IX or not. And so I don't think that's a particularly uh, relevant uh, argument in this case. Kenny Jacoby, USA Today, is our guest. We're talking about the Mel Tucker situation. I guess that's the best way I could describe it. Now he has been suspended by Michigan State uh, without pay as they investigate. Um, Michigan State has got some context here and some background. They, you know, the leaders at Michigan State failed to act when Larry Nasser was running around, disgraced USA Gymnastics uh, campus physician, was accused of sexually assaulting uh, more than 300 athletes under the guise of medical treatments. He's, he's got a you know, minimum of 100 years in prison. How does that factor or frame what's happening now? Yeah, so, you know, I think for the, the people in the MSU community, the students, the faculty, the alumni, uh, the community members in East Lansing, there is a deep distrust there uh, with MSU for the way it handles sexual misconduct cases uh, because of the betrayal that was the Larry Nasser scandal, that they had repeated opportunities to stop him from his sexual abuse, and they missed those opportunities. After that has all come out, Michigan State has made some strides 
and attempts uh, to improve the way it handles these types of cases, to rebuild some of that trust that it lost in students. Um, but now, for the most high-profile person at that university to be accused of the same sort of conduct has has really rubbed people the wrong way and, and upset a lot of people. And it's and it also did not sit well that the school only suspended him after the news came out. I think it's a complicated situation for MSU, uh, but to an outsider, it has the stench of a cover-up, and people don't like to see that. Yeah, and I look at it and I think to myself, gosh, we all found out about this when you wrote about it, but Michigan State has known about this for a while. Why wait until everybody else finds out about it to suspend him? It's a good question. Um, I don't think MSU has answered that question substantively, um, but what I will say is it is complicated because let's say Michigan State were to have suspended Tucker the moment they found out about Tracy's complaint. Um, they still have yet to conduct any sort of fact-finding investigation, mm. and so many questions would be raised as to why Tucker has been excluded from the team. And that would lead to all kinds of rumors and speculation, and that is not necessarily what victims going through these sorts of cases want. So it is a complicated decision, and they made the decision that they did to sort of uh, do the investigation quietly, and maybe that was the wrong decision. Uh, but that is that is where we are. Kenny, give me an idea here, because, you know, as, as I see it, Brenda Tracy is touring the country. She's speaking. Mel Tucker's program is one of the universities she's talked with. Um, she develops at least a working relationship with Mel Tucker. He's classifying it as more. Um, and then subsequently, after the incident, uh, she says he cancels her future visits. Um, I just... I, I struggle with how stupid Mel Tucker looks here. He looks like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, if you were to take his word, um, considering you know what he says, that essentially he and Brenda Tracy had a uh, mutual romantic attraction to each other uh, that led to them having consensual phone sex, you're still dealing with the fact that you know Tucker, he is a married man, and he had just signed a $95 million contract with the school that came fully guaranteed even if he never won uh, another game if the school fired him for performance-based reasons it would owe him a hundred percent of the money left on that contract the caveat is that if he's fired for cause he's not entitled to any of that money so in his version of events um, he essentially had an affair with somebody who was a vendor for the university who the university who he particularly hired to come to his team to explain and and teach his athletes and coaches about sexual misconduct and even if that were true i think the argument could be made that that is embarrassing conduct to the university that that is conduct that subjects the university to ridicule and that in and of itself uh, could be a fireable offense kenny jacoby usa today is with us all right let's um let's step back devil's advocate you know, there's part of this. Brenda doesn't look good in this either. She's sort of having these late-night phone calls, 30 minutes, with somebody she's in a working relationship with. I mean, I, I think, you know, if I look at it objectively, I go, okay, what is going on here? But I still come back to the fact that, you know, she's got discomfort. He's not denying that he was masturbating on the phone while he's talking to her. She wasn't uh, participating 
in it. And afterwards, her next subsequent visit gets canceled after she objects to it and says she's not on board with it. I mean, it just it looks like classic harassment. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's important to note that there's no such thing as a, a perfect victim out there. There's no one way for a survivor to act, especially in the moment itself uh, when they're dealing with trauma. So the backstory is uh, Brenda had come to MSU for the first time at Tucker's behest in August 2021 when he invited her for the first time to speak to his team. She left that day feeling like she had found a champion in Tucker, that he was an ally in her cause to uh, reform the campus culture around sexual violence. And she said that she genuinely believed that. And, you know, further, they had, they stayed in touch after that visit. He continued inviting her to campus for additional visits. And during that time, they developed a professional bond and they sort of became friends. They would talk on the phone fairly frequently, uh, an average of about 30 minutes every two weeks or so over the the year that they were in contact and it wasn't and it was during that time that brenda began to realize uh she said that tucker was more interested in her than in her cause and there were certain things that he did that she said suggested that he was only interested in her romantically and she said that she repeatedly made clear to him that she does not date people who she works with, that she tried to set boundaries with him, and that after multiple attempts to try and do that is when he he masturbated on the phone without her consent. So that's the context in which this happened. Kenny, uh, what happens next? What's the, what's the next step for Mel Tucker? Well, for Mel Tucker, um, he has got to... Uh, find out his fate at the end of this hearing, which is scheduled for early October, October 5th and 6th. At this hearing, um, he and his attorney and Brenda and her attorney will have the opportunity to question witnesses, to present evidence, to make their case uh, to a neutral uh, hearing officer who will decide whether Tucker is responsible for violating school policies. And on, after that, uh, depending on what the determination is, uh, MSU will have to decide what to do with him. Uh, it, it's within the realm of possibility uh, that they decide that there's insufficient evidence to determine if there's a policy violation. It's also very possible that they find him at fault in this case. But either way, they're going to have to decide whether they want the face of their prestigious football program in the aftermath of the Larry Nassar scandal to be somebody who is accused of sexually harassing one of the nation's most prominent advocates against sexual violence. Well put. Kenny, I uh, appreciate your work on this, man. Uh, I, great job on it. Good job getting the story and telling it in a way that, um, you know, is easy to understand. I think that's a hard thing to do I because I read all of the accounts, and only yours at USA Today was, you, you know, I, that's where I keep directing people. People are going, I'm confused after reading the ESPN story. I'm confused over after reading the AP story. Uh, how difficult was it for you to kind of lay it out with the timeline, everything that happened, and uh, what's at stake? Yeah, you know, we were able to write a, a much more detailed story than every other outlet because Brenda Tracy provided us with the more than 1,200 pages of case documents. Um, this is an ongoing case, so these documents are generally not available to the public, um, but she shared them with us, and so we were to write a, able to write a, a much more detailed story. We, we did have to essentially 
boil down 1,200 pages of documents into uh, one story, which is not an easy task, and to write it in a fair way that presents the evidence on both sides. Um, but I think we accomplished that, and and we sort of don't tell people what to think, but just lay out the evidence for and against and let people come to their own conclusion. Kenny Jacoby, USA Today. Good work. We'll get you back on as uh, the story moves along. Thank you. That sounds great. Thanks, Sean. All right, there he is. Interesting stuff. Um, I like what he said, that there's no such thing as a perfect victim or survivor when it comes to these cases. I know Brenda Tracy. You know Brenda Tracy. She comes from our neck of the woods. She's been on this show numerous times. We've seen the laws that she's changed. We know who she is. And it's why when a story like this surfaces, I uh, see that it's involving her and Mel Tucker. And full disclosure of this, like, you know, I had an inkling this was coming down the pipeline. I did not know it was a story that actually had an investigation attached to it. But I did know that uh, that Brenda had had some kind of troubling interaction with a major coach and was weighing her options uh, months ago. And I kind of lost track of what was happening. Comes out, it's Mel Tucker, it's Michigan State. And, you know, for her, this has got to reopen a lot of pain. 25-year-old pain. Uh, or four, four football players, two of them at Oregon State. A junior college player, a high school recruit being the other two. Um, you know, I told that story years ago. And she is like a rocket ship gone around the country with the Set the Expectation campaign and done a lot of good work, a lot of powerful work. A lot of important work, and Mel Tucker now, uh, without without pay, suspended, and I got a hard time thinking that Michigan State can bring him back in any form or fashion. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Sam is in Portland. Sam, you listened to the interview. What'd you think? Yeah, I'm I'm just always amazed by. Well, first of all, I think people don't value this the sanctity of marriage. I mean, my God, he's married. Like, what are you doing? Like, first of all, second of all, you know, it just, it just dumbfounds me. You bring her in to do the work that she's known for doing, and you disrespect her and, and all the work, uh, you know, you traumatize her over again. It just amazes me how stupid some people are. That was one thing. But then the other thing that didn't, you didn't discuss in, in, in this interview is bringing back D'Antonio. Right, he he left under a scandal that involved sexual assault from his players. Michigan State is a is a mess, and I don't know if it's ever going to get better or what is going to make it better. But I, the whole thing is just disgusting and sad. And and Mel Tucker is an idiot for doing what he did to um, violate that uh, professional business relationship and to, and to violate his marriage and his wife. Um, it was a great interview, great story. It's disgusting and sad. I think he's gone. And uh, what, I'd love to know what you think, John, about bringing back D'Antonio in any capacity. Yeah, I think in those circumstances, they're probably looking for who knows the program, who's familiar with what's going on, um, I gotta, I gotta get myself up to speed with, you know, what his role is as the acting coach. Um, it, it doesn't feel to me like Mel Tucker can come back. He's facing a Title IX investigation. 
He is going scorched earth towards uh, the person who's making the accusation towards him. He's also calling out his university. Um, I'm looking at the news release that that Michigan State issued as they put um, Mark D'Antonio in, in part of, in charge of the program. Um, you know, they're just saying that he has a relationship and a connection with the university, and um, you know, it, and and granted, his any kind of uh, you know, basically any kind of uh, relationship that he has or any kind of scandal that he was involved in. Um, they're believing that, you know, he's a better option than Mel Tucker, but, but the caller is right. Like in his tenure, 16 Michigan state football players were accused of sex assault, you know, outside the lines had all the story. And so it's like your, your, uh, your solution short term is to bring back the guy that, you know, outside the line says, uh, didn't do a good job overseeing the program. Um, I, I, this is the guy. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Like, it's, it's like, hey, we got a really bad situation. This is less bad. Let's bring, D, you know, Mark D'Antonio back. Um, and the athletic director there, Alan Holler, it, he better be careful because this is one of these situations that causes full-scale house cleaning. The thing I don't want to see happen, though, is. You know, an advocate like Brenda Tracy is invited to campus. She's touring. She's, you know, I don't want to see programs go, hey, this is a potential liability. Let's not bring survivors to come and talk to our teams because this could have been avoided if if we never had booked her as a, uh, as a client. That's not the solution. The solution is Mel Tucker should not be on the phone doing what he did on the phone. He admits to it. Like, he's not, he's not uh, disputing that part of the uh, allegation. He's basically, though, saying, he's saying, his claim is that it was a consensual act. She says it was not. He subsequently canceled her visits after she objected to what happened. I mean, that part of it looks bad no matter what way you cut it. Anna's popping in the studio next. Leave it here. Anna's in the studio. Big story of the day. Washington State, Oregon State in court today. They got a temporary restraining order. Anna, you watched the court proceedings on Zoom. The end of the proceedings were interesting as uh, Beaver fans and Duck fans all sort of celebrated the end of the interview. Here's the Zoom call, final 10 or 11 seconds. All right, we'll be in recess. Thank you. Thank you. Go Beavs. Go Beavs. Go Beavs. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. That was the end of the Zoom call <laughs> as the once muted... <laughs> Wanted their voices heard. I thought that was a little bit of charm at the end. Uh, yeah, that came as a surprise. I guess I was watching it with you, because I and I didn't realize that the link was publicly available. So I had no idea how many people were actually tuning in via Zoom. Uh, that wasn't what I expected at the end, but it was pretty charming. Uh, I thought it was... Um, I mean, we've all experienced in the last two or three years how annoying Zoom can be. And so it is surprising at this point for how widely used it is that people still haven't figured out how to mute their microphones and turn their cameras off for something as serious as a court hearing because there were some really random sounds and uh, images that were very distracting at the beginning of that hearing. Give me an idea. The judge himself 
And for people who weren't tuned in, I thought the judge was a fascinating character in this drama. Gary Libby, he is the judge there in Whitman County Superior Court. He starts by referencing he and his wife being at the fairgrounds serving and eating funnel cake over the weekend. Like, just a charming sort of, hey, let's remember who we are and where we are. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was an interesting contrast to um, just the, I don't know, I guess the the weight of what was being discussed. And in particular, in contrast to, you know, like you've written about how fancy the headquarters were in San Francisco for the Pac-12 headquarters and how much the conference was paying in rent in downtown San Francisco. And here you've got, you know, Judge Livey talking about, uh, like right off the bat, setting the tone that, hey, I know these are important proceedings, but by the way, I've got a doctor appointment to get to at 1230, so we're going to have to break at that point. Uh, we can continue the discussion. I want everybody to say what they need to say, but i gotta, I got to get to the doctor later in about an hour and a half from now. I, uh, <laughs> I like that part, too. And he did. He made his doctor's appointment. He like did. He got out on time. We forget judges are people, too. They're like me. They're like you. They have doctor's appointments. <laughs> I'm just impressed that he's actually going to the doctor's appointment. Um, Oregon State and Washington State get the restraining order. There's going to be more litigation. Comes down the pipeline. I was really impressed with the attorney for the plaintiffs. Not so much for the defendants, but there. I think that the guy for the plaintiffs was working with a lot more material. Yeah. I mean, once the attorney for Oregon State and Washington State finished his remarks, I kind of was struggling because I was like, well, what I, I was really curious at that point, like, what is the attorney for, uh, you know, the defendants going to say in this? What does what is left? Right. What can he say? Because notably, on the issue of notice, which is what I think... In the bylaws. In the like bylaws. notice to withdraw. No, the notice to withdraw, like, how, in any reasonable person's mind, does the defendant, in this case, say that they, you know, didn't officially give notice that they were leaving the conference? Like, we all have seen the extreme publicity the, the campaign that has been waged over the last month over what has happened, each of the schools that are leaving, posting it on social media, holding press conferences, talking about how exciting this all is. Like, there's, there's no argument there that the notice has been given by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, it was strange to me when the defense attorney, his initial argument was, hey, not everybody's here. Like, that was his best argument. And you're going to lead with your best argument if you're an attorney who's arguing in one of these hearings. You're going to go with, give us your good stuff first, and then you progressively work down. And his best argument out of the gates was, hey, George Kwiatkow isn't here. He's in, you know, he's in a bad position. And, in fact, here's the attorney kind of arguing Kwiatkow's position as it pertains to uh, having mo members of his own conference now litigating against each other. Was a very thank you, and this is a this is a very weighty matter for uh, Commissioner Klyavkov, who is doing his level best. He's in a terrible position. He's in Montana, it says. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he may be physically there, but existentially, he's in a terrible position as the commissioner of this conference, who has to answer to a chaos of voices and discord. And yet, 
every Saturday and sometimes during the week until June of next year, he's responsible in large part for the success of all of that activity and for the performance of critical, critical business relationships that exist today for which the commission that for which the commissioner and the conference have to perform. I don't think Klyovkov looks good in this. You know, I love that the judge points out he's in Montana. Like he's vacationing basically at his second home in Montana. Yeah, that wasn't ideal, uh, I would imagine, uh, for Klyovkov. Also, record number of ways in which his name was mispronounced throughout the <laughs> proceedings. I was like, wow. <laughs> we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.